We're back in the Gospel of Luke this week. I titled this sermon from Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, An Impossible Salvation. An Impossible Salvation. We're going to see more of this unfold as we move through these verses. This is the, the interaction that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. And uh, let's just dive in. Before we move into our verses for this week, I want to rewind two weeks, though, and pick up where we left off, because really, Luke arranged this material to kind of flow, and it's amazing how connected I'm finding these, these different interactions are as Luke has put them together for us in the gospel. So this is where we left off. Jesus had just encouraged the, uh, the kids to come to him, to have the parents bring their children to him, and, and he sits them on his lap, and he gives them the blessing, and, and then he says this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And we remember how important it was, the contrast of, of those who were bringing their kids as opposed to those who came in self-righteousness, as if somehow they would impress Jesus with their works and their worth. And he says, listen, you're getting it all wrong. If you want to come into the kingdom that I'm ushering in, you've got to come like a child. Empty hands, open wide. Save me, save me. And that's exactly where this theme continues, the theme of the kingdom, the theme of, of how are we to be saved and enter into this kingdom? What does it look like to have Jesus be our Savior? Well, let's continue on then this week into this. Verses 18 and 19 I titled, Only God is Good. A ruler came and asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you are excited about evangelism, which, friends, all of us ought to be, right? If you ever were, were sitting in a coffee shop and someone came up to you and, and sat down and said, uh, hey, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, you're just like, awesome. How amazing a question this is. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We meet the rich young ruler. I want to say a little bit more about each of these, uh, this, this title that we, we know this young man by. The rich young ruler was rich because we were going to learn later he was actually quite rich. He was uh, the recipient of a family inheritance, likely. Usually in this day, to be young and rich meant that you had inherited such money. It wasn't the day of startups in Silicon Valley and instant millionaires. It was riches of land and animals and inheritance. And so this ruler was a, a young ruler who was quite rich. Uh, we know that he's young, actually, because of what Matthew records. Matthew re refers to him twice as a young man, a young man. And he is described as a ruler. We don't know exactly what that means. He may have been a, a ruler in, in the city, uh, maybe some type of uh, civil uh, leader of, of some sort, or maybe in the synagogue he was a ruler, uh, one who had advanced uh, even at his young age with character and piety and shown himself to be uh, kind of a leader of those of integrity and keeping of the law. So in any case, I want you to just to, to pull back and look at this, this man as he comes. He is a man who is young yet affluent. 
He is a man of influence. He has uh, great uh, following. He has, he has power and he has money. Now, how many young men in this day would love to say that of themselves? Right? This, this guy's got it made. He has power. He has the money to back it up. He has a position of prestige. And yet he comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus with a question. He begins his question with this reference, which as I studied, I actually learned more about this. There's, there's a lot more to this. He says, good teacher, as he comes in and references Jesus. Now, to us, we might be thinking, well, he's, this is just a one way of introducing himself. Hey, good teacher, good teacher. Now, I would take this as a sign of respect and regard. Do you realize, though, that in the Talmud, there is not one reference of this ever mentioned. N- not one rabbi has ever been referred to or recorded through in, in history as good teacher. I'll tell you why. Because for a Jewish culture in this audience, in this time, only God is good. The Old Testament is very precise on this, and they would reserve that title for God alone. And so for the, for, for the, the rich young ruler to come and say this of Jesus was a big deal. He was breaking with all of what was socially normal at this time, and it probably would have turned some heads to hear him say this. Good teacher. Now, some say it's flattery that he was trying to butter Jesus up to get what he wanted. But I'm inclined to think with this, this question that he asks, I think he's just showing regard. And maybe he's saying, you know what, I know what the social norm is, but I really see something here in this Jesus. I'm impressed with him. I, I, I see something, and I want to address him with regard. So he says, good teacher. Now, he asks an honest question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. He's asking about in eternal life. He wants to know this, he, this kingdom that Jesus speaks of. He is very much wanting to be, uh, be brought into. And he understands that it's inherited in some way or another, but he's also attaching action. What, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? It's on his mind which tells us that, in fact, this man, with all of his money and all of his position, he has still this this uncertain future. He's not 100% sure that he's good to go. Isn't that interesting? It kind of makes you ask the question, well, how good is good enough? How, How good is good enough? I mean, if I am a good person, quote unquote, good person, how how do I know if I'm good enough to qualify for eternal life? Oh, this is an important passage for us to really understand that question. He may have been hoping to hear from Jesus, well, rich young ruler, you're pretty impressive. You're pretty impressive. I tell you what, why don't you leverage your influence and follow me and I'll give you, an, I'll give you eternal life. Or, why don't you make a significant donation, rich young ruler, and in that you can secure eternal life. I think he was hoping to hear that he could use uh, the, the capital of what he had to secure this, this, this longing that he had. 
Well, he did not expect to hear what Jesus said. Listen to this. Jesus responds with this. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, Jesus comes out of the gate not even addressing the question of inheriting eternal life. He begins like a classic trained Jewish rabbi would do, the art of questioning. Here he comes. He's making a statement. He's teaching with a question. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Why would Jesus say this? What is he getting at? What's he trying to do? I I think he's trying to tell this man, hey, think. I want you to think. Listen to the question and engage this. What you find as you look at these words is Jesus is actually not correcting the man. He's not correcting him and saying, you shouldn't call me good. That's not what he says. He simply says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. No one is good except God alone. So two things are happening in this question to the rich young ruler. Number one, Jesus is calling into question the ruler's goodness. He's planting the seed to call this man to begin to say, wait a second, maybe all of this that I am so confident in is not actually as good as it needs to be. He calls it into question. But number two, and I think this is really significant, Jesus is revealing his identity. He's basically saying, well, I mean, you're saying it more accurately than you even realize. I am good. I am good. And I am God. This is a statement of divinity. Now, you might not see that at first, but the more you stare at this, the more you realize this man put the very words out there. And Jesus takes the opportunity and says, you're right. You're right. And, and just to, in case people didn't put, you know, one and one together, he said, no one is good but God alone. You're right on. I am good, he says. This could, in fact, uh, fit under one of those I am statements almost. It's, it's that close. It is a statement of his divinity. He goes on to engage this man after really catching him with this question that would have come as a surprise. Consider the commandments. This is where he directs his attention to now. Consider the commandments. Verse 20, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler responds and says, all these I have kept from my youth. Wow, what a statement. Jesus shares with him the commandments. Now, this would have been uh, so familiar to a Jewish audience. They could have rattled them backwards, forward. Uh, He states uh, commandment number five through nine here, at least in Luke's gospel. That's what he he says. And and the response of this is, I'm good on that. I've done that. So you have to kind of begin to ask the question, well, how does this guy think about the law? Because over and over, Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you, right? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but everyone who, who, who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. You see what Jesus does? 
He drives it to the heart. It's the heart of the commandment. If you hate your brother, you have committed murder. You know the commandments. Here's what's interesting as he brings into view the commandments. He's drawing the attention to the, really the second half of the commandments, but he's also, I think, highlighting the first. He, he skips over one through four and 10, which is do not covet, right? Think of this. All of the first four commandments are all vertical. It's all about my relationship with God himself. And what is the very first commandment? You have no other gods before me. That's, that's what he is, he is pointing him to. I have to just establish here the purpose of the law. One of, one of the things that God wants to do in giving the law, certainly the Ten Commandments, right, is to reveal who he is in his holiness. But the second piece of that puzzle is to reveal who we are in our sinfulness. We are not able to keep the commandments. The, the commandments were never intended to save anybody. God gave the commandments so that he could show us how holy he is and how totally sinful and short we fall of his glory. We fail to obey them. We are unable to keep them. Now, we, we might think in, in, you know, letter of the law, I, I have not murdered. What about in your heart? I have not committed adultery. Jesus says, what about in your heart? I have not lied. How have you handled truth? Have you done so perfectly? Honor your father and mother. What about your heart? All through your life? Really? Rich young ruler? I don't think so. None of us can say that we have kept those commandments either. We stand condemned under the law, and it is the grace of God that does that. It is one of his goals in, in giving the law that we feel how short we fall. We feel our desperate need before him. We are sinners under his righteous and holy law. Jesus drives at the heart. That is his goal. He wants to take this man who is, who is impressive on the outside, wearing fancy clothes, I'm sure, walking around with an air. Now, he's not testing Jesus. He's honest in his question. But Jesus is loving in the way that he drives to the heart, always. It's about the heart. He pushes this man to try to identify the greatest love in his life. The greatest love. Now, listen to how Jesus responds. Verses 22 and 23. What I did here is I, I put a little part of Mark in his account of this exchange, and I put it in brackets in the middle of this text so that you could see, because there's such an important part that Mark includes that I wanted to kind of weave in to Luke here. So when Jesus heard him respond this way, all these I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? What is it that I am missing? Jesus heard this, and then Mark says, look at this, looking at him, just imagine him looking right at him, right into his eyes, seeing all the way to his heart. It says Jesus loved him. He loved him. And then he said these words, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
Wow. The rich young ruler did not expect those words either. He did not expect those words. Jesus is not suggesting that he should somehow merit his eternal life or his treasure in heaven by giving all that he has away to the poor and earning justification, earning forgiveness, earning what he needs to be right with God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus has identified the greatest love in his life. He put his finger right on it. This man came asking for help, and he has just received this. Look, you ask the question, how is this loving for Jesus to say this to this man? It is love that engages with truth. A man who is blind to his own God. He he has given himself fully, his heart. He is wrapped up in his riches. And Jesus says, that's the problem. That's your greatest love. That is the God of your life. And if you want eternal life, you have to be willing to part with that. Just think of Jesus calling the apostles. Think of the display of their departure from business, from tax gathering, from fishing, from family. I mean, this is what it looks like. Not everybody is called to leave their riches or to give it all away, but we have to be willing to do so. That is what he asks of his followers. You shall have no other gods before me. In this case, this man was bowing down to prestige, power, money, riches, fame, it's what he wanted. It's as if he was saying, Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you. I, I'd like to have eternal life, but I want to be king. I want to be the man on the scene. You can fit into this thing, but you have to make sure that, that you work according to my playbook. I want the things I want, and if you can happily kind of get in line, then that's all good. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. That is not how it works. First, in your heart. First. Jesus was tested at one point by some uh, Pharisees, and he responds, uh, listen to this, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, rightly so. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is is the great and first commandment. And then he adds, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This man has just been given the opportunity by Jesus himself to obey commandment number one and commandment number two. Oh, how's he going to respond? Don't, don't you just hope that he, he sees what is happening here? Don't you, don't you hope that he understands the treasure that he has in Jesus? When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Mark tells us that he was disheartened by what Jesus said, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What did he choose? He chose the money. 
He said, listen, Jesus, uh, I, I, I'm sticking with the money. I mean, that you, 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 you've called me to give up everything I love most. I won't do it. I can't do it. And he walked away. This is not what you expect Jesus, the, the greatest evangelist ever, to do. I'll tell you what happens many times in our day in evangelism. There's an emphasis on, on the felt needs of all the people. Well, you're hurting, you're this, you're that, you need this, you need that, you, you want this, you want that. Come to Jesus and he'll make all your dreams come true. And he'll just dovetail into your lordship and you, you can just kind of rub that lamp and, and Jesus will grant you all the wishes you ever wanted. Well, who's going to say no to a Savior like that? The problem is, friends, that's not Jesus. Think of this. He lets the man walk away. He, he doesn't chase him down and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. God has a wonderful plan for your life and, and, and wants to fulfill all your dreams. Don't miss this, though. He loves him and speaks these words to him gently, graciously, lovingly. And the man turns in sadness and walks away. And Jesus lets him walk. Now, here's my hope. I, I just long, this is a real man, right? I long someday to hear that that man walked away and then thought about what Jesus said. And maybe, just maybe, God was so gracious to stir repentance in his heart and turn him from his departure from Jesus and return him to Jesus to do exactly what he had called him to do. Put Christ first, above all else. Is Jesus Christ your highest allegiance? Or would any of these things fit in his place? Self, power, riches. Friends, we've got to be aware of this. This is a dangerous and, and, and deadly reality. There are people in the fires of hell because of this, right? The people who are, who are dying every day and going to hell because they have chosen self or power or riches over Christ. Hmm. Let's consider the remaining verses here. It's a fascinating thing to see this. I called this section human inability and divine ability. Verses 24 through 27. Jesus said, seeing that he had become sad, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what a fascinating illustration Jesus uses. He's saying, this man, this rich man, oh, it's so hard for him to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, I'll tell you how hard it is. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Think, think of that. What an illustration. Now, Jesus is illustrating the impossible. That's his point. I've just got to call this out. There is an interpretation that has actually gained popularity. It's floating around. A lot of you may have heard it that there's some gate 
referred to as the needle gate in Jerusalem. And that, that camels would have to get down low and, and kind of humble under this gate in order to fit through. Friends, that's hogwash. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. doesn't fit the context, nor does it fit the archaeology. There is no known needle gate. And if I had a camel who was carrying goods or, or carrying me, why would I choose to go through a gate the, the size of a donkey if I could go, you know, 100 feet over here and just ride through the normal gate? So that's not what he's talking about. And here's why. He's illustrating the impossible. This is, this is his illustration. He chooses the largest land animal in Israel and the smallest thing he can come up with, which is the eye of a needle. Okay, now I'm sure you guys on the camera, you probably won't be able to see this, but this is a needle. It's actually a, a pretty sizable needle, and compared to some, it's, a, it's got a pretty decent-sized eye. But you know, I want you to picture a camel. Well, here's one. This is a camel that... Uh, was kissing us just outside of Jericho. There was a man who had a kissing camel. And if you paid him a dollar, you could get a kiss from his camel. Here's Gracie getting a kiss from this camel. So here you have a camel. Jesus is probably pointing at one as he's teaching. You see that camel? You try to put that through the eye of a needle. Maybe in our context, not quite as dramatic a difference, but this picture comes to mind. You've got a, a big old bulldog, and his face is stuck in, the, in a cat door. He's trying to look through there. Look how big he is on the other side of that glass. There's no way that that dog is going through that tiny door. Jesus is illustrating the impossible. He wants us to see what he's saying. This is not just about humility. It's not just about getting low. It is about literally, you can't do it. You can't do it. The eye of a needle. One of the reasons he wants us to see this is because he, he, he shows us again and again how important it is for us to understand we cannot save ourselves. Self-righteousness, deservedness, works. We are not able to do enough good to save ourselves. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You can't. That's the answer. You can't. Our ability is completely lacking. We don't have it. A couple verses on this. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. In John 3, referring to inter interaction with Nicodemus just before John 3.16, right? This is a fascinating passage. He says, listen, you have to be born again. And how does that happen? Well, it's by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has to cause you to live. And until that happens, you can't even see the kingdom, let alone enter it. Here's a passage from 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, the natural person, that's the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they're foolishness to him. He is Key words here, unable or not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So listen, the rich young ruler in this situation, you gotta, you got to understand this. The only thing he could do left to himself was walk away. He couldn't do 
what Jesus was calling him to do. He couldn't change his heart. He was a slave to his sin. He was enslaved to self and passions and his longing for money and power and prestige. He was unable to change his heart. Only God can do that. Now the shock of Jesus' words rang out through those who heard him say these things. They said, who then can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. In this culture, to be rich was to be seen as, as one blessed by God. And in fact, if you were to take a, a poll like those, those uh, things they sometimes do in high school yearbooks, you know, most likely to succeed, most adorable, this, that, and the other, most likely to, uh, I don't know, start a Fortune 500 company. This one is most likely uh, to, to, to be able to be saved, right? The, the reality is, is that the rich people in this culture would fall into that category. Oh, if you're rich, well, you're most likely to be saved. Why? Because God has, has favor on you. And when Jesus said it is impossible for a rich man to, to enter into eternal life, the rest of the people said, well, then who can be saved? If it's, if it's impossible for them, it's totally impossible for us. And that's exactly right. That's what Jesus said. It's impossible for all of us to be saved on our own. We lack the ability. We can't do it. And this is where we should land. This is what we should conclude. Only God can save sinners. Now, let's close with this. Kingdom priority and kingdom promise. Verses 28 through 30. Kingdom priority and kingdom promise. Peter, standing nearby, he's listening to these things and he, he pipes in at this point. I love Peter. Listen to him. See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Jesus says to the disciples, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Wow. It's true. When Jesus called these men, they dropped their nets and followed him. That meant for Peter, who was married and probably had children as well, that meant that he was away from home for months on end, traveling with Jesus as they journeyed through Israel teaching and preaching, healing. It certainly meant at the end of the day that he would give his life for the church, for the gospel. Think of Levi, the tax collector, who left his riches, his power. He left it all, and he followed Jesus. What an incredible promise. Look at the priority, though. Follow me. Follow me with everything that you are. It speaks to really the cost and the reward of discipleship. How much should we give? Everything. Everything. The reward is great. 
One of the things we see in Jesus' words is it's not just e- in eternity. It's, it's one of the things that we love so much and we miss right now. It's, it's the family of God, right? Because of corona, we're not able to meet in this room together. But friends, this is family. So some of you who have, have, have had to sacrifice friendships and, and, and even family relationships because of Christ and you've chosen Christ above all else, you have a home. You have family here. Aunts and uncles, cousins, brothers and sisters. In the Lord, eternal bonds of family. What a reward. And certainly in the age to come eternal life. And so our response this morning, there's so many aspects of this. One would be to just ask the question, where is there a potential idol in my life? Is there anything in my heart that would take precedence over Christ? Any inclination of my heart that would, that would be more absorbed with him, uh, with that than him? Another aspect of our application may be how we think about evangelism. Friends, we need to be willing to speak with loving words of truth. And, and at the end of the day, it might mean that people walk away. They may walk away. And we have to say, Lord, we're going to trust you with that when that happens. We're going to speak the gospel faithfully. We're going to call people in love to repent of their sins and turn and trust Jesus as Lord. But as we do, we need to call them to this, this reality. All I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. It's more than enough. If that's all you had in this life, everything else was was gone, you would be a rich man. You would be rich beyond imagination. Christ is enough. We have a gospel that speaks to a supernatural salvation. This is a supernatural salvation. So when you evangelize, friends, pray. Oh God, bring salvation. Save. Do what only you can do as we speak the words of life, words of hope as we speak words of truth and call people to repent and turn from their sins and come and trust Christ as Lord and Savior, we cannot coerce that. We cannot say it in such a way that it's just going to create itself. No, God is the one who saves people. He is the one who saved me. At the proclamation of the gospel when I was five years old, he threw the switch and my dead soul came to life. And I was saved. He saved me. Hmm. If you're here this morning, or you're listening online, and you're, you're thinking, well, what do I do then to inherit eternal life? I mean, you may have that honest question. You're, you're, you're wondering, uh, uncertain about your future. If you're saying at the end of the day, I, I'm worried that maybe money or power or self has taken the seat, the throne in my heart instead of Jesus. What do I do? I'll just say this. Cry out to Jesus Christ. Save me. 
Save me, Lord. Save me from my sins. Only you can. Just think, if the rich young ruler would have just turned and looked at Jesus and said, Save me, Jesus. Have mercy on me. He would have been saved like that. And you can today. You can today. No matter what you've done, no matter your past, no matter the the grief and the, the offenses and the weight and the hurt and all of that, all of those things can be forgiven because Jesus has paid the price and and he welcomes those who come to him crying, Save me. Save me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you now delighted in this good news. We, we stand condemned before you under the, the law, the holy hammer, as it were, of what is true about you, what reveals about us. We fall short. We are desperate in need of your salvation. And so we, we look to you today. Lord, we don't measure up. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough to deserve eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But we delight in a Savior who has. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we delight that He has finished the work, that He has taken the cross in full, that He has paid our debt completely and and purchased us such that we can be forgiven. As we trust in His life, in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. Oh God, even now as as people receive these words and listen, I pray that your spirit would stir in their hearts and that some who would would hear these words would just simply cry out, save me, save me. Oh Jesus, save me from my sins. Set my feet on the rock. Cause me to live today. Today. Show me what it looks like to have life without end. We delight in your goodness, Lord. And we thank you that at the end of the day, if all we have is Jesus, it's more than enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.